slide. So I'm excited because we're starting a new series this morning, and the series is called Rest. And we are talking about the idea of Sabbath and the idea of rest and how much we need that and how Bible, the Bible tells us that it is so important that it really is actually a matter of life and death, which we often don't think about. Um, I'm really excited because we, uh, we've been talking about this for months. Um, the pastors have been talking about, about this, which probably isn't a good sign when you're in like staff meetings and the pastors are like, we should talk about rest. We need rest. Everybody needs rest. But we've been planning this for a while, and it was cool that last week as we ended our Exodus series, that the passage, one of the passages we looked at as we were to the end of Exodus and wrapping it up was specifically on rest. And so you guys are going to be so excited when I tell you right now that we are going to start our series and rest. And I want you, if you have a Bible and you want to open up, I'm going to put it up on the screen, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, because that is where we're going to be this morning in our new series on rest. How exciting is that? We're going to be in Exodus 35. We're going to look at what we looked at last week as we start and we talk about this. Um, Exodus 35, verses 1 through 3. And we talked about these last week, so they may sound familiar. They say this. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So, this is coming after God has given his people the law, and right before they're about to start building everything, build the temple, make all the priestly garments, start to actually do all the stuff that God said to do in the law. And it's important that he says it when he does, because as you guys start working, as you guys start making things happen with your hands, you need to know what my distinct group of people are going to be like when they work. And they're going to be people who rest. They take a day and they rest. Now, this isn't the first that we ever hear about the idea of rest in the Bible, but it's the first time that it's talked about with people, and here's what I mean by that. First time we ever hear about Sabbath, about rest, about someone taking a break on the seventh day is in creation, right? In Genesis, in the beginning. In Genesis 1, we read that God created everything for six days, and then he stopped, and he rested, and he looked at his creation, and he saw that it was good, and he was pleased. And we read that, and we go, why would God need to rest? Does God get tired? Does he get worked out, like worked up, like building things and making things and just go, oh, I've been like playing with Play-Doh all day. I'm worn out and I need to take a break and just kind of enjoy this village that I built or something. No, God doesn't get tired. God's rest wasn't for weariness. It was for completion. It was for completeness. It was kind of a bookend on the end of creation. God's sitting back and, and making it clear in Genesis, I'm finished, I'm done, I'm done creating and now I can enjoy the goodness that I see in my creation. What's very interesting about that is when you look at it in Genesis, there is no mention whatsoever of people resting, that man themselves should rest or as man would eventually rest. It is entirely about God resting. And so there's no point then when man needs to rest. Why? Because everything's perfect. Because God's created perfection and said that it was good. And he creates man and woman and he creates them to cultivate. He creates them to work and to be industrious and to put things together and to make things happen. That's why we feel compelled to do those things. We are cultivators by nature, by the way God created us. We are, in a sense, creators like he is a creator because we're created in his own image. 
And as God created people to do that, and it was this great, joyful, wonderful process that was life-giving in every way, then man and woman screwed it all up and they sin. And the result of the sin, God says that the earth will now be hard and filled with thorns, that it will work against them, and that their work is now no longer just constructive, life-giving work. It's called toil. Man now toils. And if you've ever worked, you know probably what toil feels like. If you've ever tried to accomplish or construct anything in this life, you understand what it feels like that your creation is working against you. It's not, sometimes it's life-giving. In ideal circumstances, it can be life-giving, but much of the time it isn't life-giving, it drains us. And so because of the fall and because of creation being distorted and corrupted, because of the fact that it is ultimately toil for us, God then commands his people to rest. And this is what we read about in Exodus 35. If you're going to be distinct, if you're going to be different, you need to do this. Now, we know that it's not only a part of the Mosaic Covenant, but that it exists in the New Testament too. Jesus encountered religious leaders, and man, they were really, really strict about Sabbath because they got the idea, the correct idea being that God cared about it so much. And so they were like, okay, fine. If the way that we are a distinct group of people is in part the way that we work, the way that we, that we work and have an ability to rest, and Sabbath is something that's punishable by death, God says, because it's so important that we do it, that we be the one group of people who knows when to stop working and says, we trust God, he's going to take care of it for us, that when they reach that point... They have gotten so serious about it that when Jesus comes on the scene, we realize they've invented tons of laws that dictate exactly what the Sabbath looks like. You could only walk so far on the Sabbath. You, could, you can't carry anything. There was like an actual measurement for how many things you could carry, and it would be like enough water to drink for one walk from here to there. And a person that uh, in the New Testament we read about gets, gets yelled at by the Pharisees because they were carrying their mat. Uh, but if they had put it on their back, then if they had been wearing it, it would have been considered wearing their mat, and then that wouldn't have been sinful. So really, they were just blowing it that way. That people have uh, things you can carry and wear, things you can do depending on dark and night, things you could eat, things you could prepare, the way that you could even heal people. Jesus is uh, called out for healing people on the Sabbath, and it wasn't an emergency life or death situation. And they were this rigid about the Sabbath in the New Testament. Why? Because it was a matter of life and death and because they were a bunch of religious, legalistic people. And so they said, okay, we'll make a bunch of rules about it. And Jesus comes on the scene. And when they call him on it, when they call him on the fact that he's like collecting grain and eating it and he's healing people on the Sabbath, what Jesus says is very important. He does not say there's no more Sabbath. He does not say there's no more rest. He does not say, oh, I've come to do away with everything. What he says is, is that the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, which means the Sabbath ultimately needs to be a restful time. And if we get legalistic about it and we fill it up with all these rules and guidelines that are inflexible, no matter who you are or what your situation is in life, then it stops being rest. It stops being Sabbath and it starts being toil once again. And it feels like we've been created just to have to fit into that mold rather than the Sabbath has been created to help us. So Jesus comes on the scene. He cares about rest. He cares about Sabbath. He himself goes away and does it regularly, even at times to be completely alone for long periods of time. We know that this was an important thing to Jesus. We know that rest is an important thing, therefore, to us. The Sabbath day means two things. One, for a day, each week, you stop. 
The Sabbath means to cease, to just stop the normal flow of what you're doing. Whatever it is that you're normally doing for the week, you stop it for the Sabbath and you take a break. The other thing that Sabbath always is, is it is God-focused. So you take a day and you give it to God. You say, this day belongs to God. Now, what's also interesting about the Sabbath in the Old Testament is that in the Old Testament, we don't really read a description that tells us that the people did more religious things on the Sabbath. They didn't actually go to church more on the Sabbath or the temple. There were times when we see uh, it written in the Old Testament that they would go to the entrance to the temple and they would see the priests while they were there doing what they do every day with the offerings and everything else. But other than holy days, Sabbath didn't necessarily mean that everyone had to leave their house and they had to go to the temple and they had to be there all day or they had to be there in in the tabernacle a bunch of the day. That it was instead still a day that was set aside and it was set aside for God but that didn't necessarily mean going to church. So think about that for a second. Think about all the things that a person can do, let's say today on a Sunday, that don't involve being here, that don't involve being at church, and then think, what if all of the day was intended to be for God? What would that look like? To give a day to God, to give a day to the focus on and the reorienting yourself to who God is. There's one question that we ask right out of the gate when we talk about Sabbath, when we talk about rest, and it's this, can we even do it? Because many of us don't. Many don't have true rest. Many don't make true Sabbath happen in their life. And the biggest reason is because we just go, I I can't do it. I can't make the time. I can't find the time. I can't make it happen. It's unrealistic. It will cost me too much. It would take too much. My life prohibits it, or my stage in life prohibits it. There's a couple of reasons why we can't rest, and they're all sort of the same reason, but the first is because we think everything depends on us. We literally don't believe that God is truly in control, and because we don't believe that God's truly in control, we cannot stop working. The idea of trusting God enough to know that we can take a break and He will still provide and He will still keep things afloat seems crazy to many of us. But the other reason why we don't do it, and it's very similar to the first reason, is because we are so very desperate to justify our even our very existence by the things that we do, that when someone tells us to stop doing the things that we spend our week doing, that we spend our time doing, we go, no, I don't want to. That sounds like the worst thing I could do. And it goes back to the first thing. We don't trust God. We think we are God. We need something other than God. You see, when you look to the things that you do and the relationships that you have and the things that you're investing in, the stuff that you accomplish in life, and you say, I need those things to be a certain way, you cannot rest until they are that way, right? And when you look at the grand scheme of things and say, what does it mean for me to have a life well lived? We think about that a lot, I think. What does it mean to have a life well lived? Is it that I've accomplished things that I can be proud of that will live long after me? Is it that I have relationships and people that I've invested in and I've brought along that I can feel were really constructive and meaningful? Is it that I simply loved life? Live, laugh, love. Is it that? Live, laugh, lake. There's like a million variations on that. Is it just the fact that I suck the marrow out of life itself 
And I knew at the, end of the, at the end of my life that I really, really got the most out of the enjoyment that life had to offer. For whatever reason, there's all these things that, that we look to and we say, that is the thing that's going to give significance and meaning to my time here on this planet. Now, God says very clearly, that is me. I will give significance and meaning to you. Your identity is in me. I name you. I created you. And if you look to me and trust me, then you won't need these things to be that, and you can rest from these things. And you can know that even if they don't go in an ideal sort of way, that you're going to be okay because you're still in me. That if your job doesn't go as well as you want it to, that you'll still be okay because you're in me. That if your relationship with your spouse or your kids or your friends or your family ultimately just don't go well, and you're not happy with how they are turning out, that's okay because you're in me, says God. That if your life isn't fun, that if it is not the life that you wanted, that if it is not going the way that you thought it would go, and you look at other people around you and you say, objectively speaking, their life is more fun and better and of higher quality, and I don't think I'll ever be able to enjoy that. That God says, you're okay, you're still in me, that's not what your life was about anyway. Because we are wrapped up in those things, and we talked about this a lot in Exodus, we can't rest because we can't take a break from those things. The idea of being in something other than that stuff is totally miserable to us. And so people like me get up and they say, you need to have rest. Or people in our lives get up and they say, you need to have rest, have rest, take a break, give yourself some time, have a date night, do whatever, go on vacation. And you go, I can't do that because it's too hard. And you make it sound easy, but it's not easy. I, when we first had kids, people would say, they'd like grab us, they'd look at us real serious, they'd be like, listen, you have to to, you have to just, you promise me, promise me that you'll just, that you'll just have a date night. Promise me you'll have a date night once a week. You got to keep, you got to keep the fire burning. You got to keep your relationship good. And I would always just say, do you want to watch my kids? That's like what I would say right back to them. If I at all trusted them to watch my kids, which, so half the time I didn't say that back to them, but I thought that. Or I would just say, there's no one to watch our kids and they wouldn't offer. But I would say to some people, do you want to watch our kids? Because we didn't have family around us when we first had kids and our kids were growing up and we still don't. And so when people would say that to me, I'd be like, you know, well, then how does that happen, right? And if, we, and, and if you've had kids, then you also know the feeling of actually getting time away and taking time away and at some point just falling asleep. Like you actually had plans. And then you're like, you know what? I actually just need to sleep, right? Rest. You know, let's invest in these relationships. Let's have fun. Let's keep the fire going. Let's have things going well. It's like, eh, or I could just sleep because that's actually what I need the most, right? Sleep forces itself upon us. We cannot avoid it. And we think that the rest of rest works that way. It's fine. I can push it off and eventually it will just have to happen. But not all rest works that way. Physically, our bodies can work that way. If we don't choose rest, rest will choose us. But that doesn't always happen. I'll tell you another thing that people told me when we had kids was I had, I had an older guy, this guy named Parker, come up to me one day, and he was a retired guy, and, and he said, you know, we were like having lunch, and he said, you know, I really regret the fact that I wasn't around very much and my kids were really young. He said, I worked a lot. My wife did a great job. She did a great job with the kids, but they were kind of her thing. 
I wasn't really in the picture much in the beginning. I wasn't in the picture until much later on, and I always regretted that. And we would talk about how, like, part, part of the reason wasn't just because his job was so demanding, but because he was like, I didn't really... I don't know if I wanted to be around all that much. I don't know if I liked the idea of being around the sort of like a bunch of little kids and stuff, you know? And then I talked to another guy who was kind of older and who said, you know, the thing that I regret is that I wasn't around a lot when my kids were young. I wasn't really in the picture as much. I was working a lot. I was busy a lot. And I really missed those times. And then I talked to this other guy who said, started saying, soak it up. They'd say, soak it up. They'd say, you know, you know, try to get as much time with your kids and your family as you can. I heard that enough times that I said, there's something to that. And I see myself starting to want to do the very same thing that they did. I see myself starting to go, you know, uh, it might be a little bit more relaxing to just hang out here for a little bit longer at work and maybe tie some, tie up some loose ends rather than go home where it's going to be a little bit more crazy, right? Um, and, and I remember what they told me, and I remember that people said to me how much they regretted the fact that they couldn't get that time back. They couldn't get those years back. They wish they could have, but they couldn't any longer. Those, that stuck with me, and that caused me to go, what would it look like? Like, what would I need to do to be around so that I don't have that same regret? Rest, taking a break for the important things is a part of life, but much of the time we don't do it. And we don't do it just because it's not just that we don't want to. It's not just that we don't try to. It's that we literally don't think that we can. We think that if we drop, that the plates will start to fall, that life will start to fall apart, that God won't actually take care of things. Rest costs money, it costs time, it costs a lot of things that we often don't want to give to it. And work can be a relative thing, right? Because work isn't just going to a job and clocking in and getting a paycheck and then being done with it. Work is much of life. Much of life feels like toil. Much of life, in fact, many of us fill up our time, even our spare time, even our free time with things that we say are fun and are good and are constructive, that we choose, that are extra, but those very things are the things that we also still need rest from. They don't bring us rest. They don't bring us at all what the Bible points to when it talks about Sabbath but we fill our lives up with them and we say, no, but it's good. And it's oftentimes because what ultimately we're going to see Sabbath and rest mean is they mean stopping and having some time without all the stuff that normally distracts you. And for many of us, that's like the last thing we want to do, right? Like the last thing I want to do is just have to stop and confront either myself or God or just the quietness of life without all of these things. So that's the question. Can we stop? Can we make it happen? Sabbath means literally to cease, to just stop. Can we stop is the first question. Step one is to make time. When the Bible describes Sabbath, it describes taking a day and setting it apart. The second thing the Bible says about Sabbath over and over and over again is not only will that time be set aside, but we are now going to focus that time on God. We're going to give it to God. It's going to be His time. It doesn't mean you spend 24 hours reading a Bible and praying in solitude because we don't see that that's what happens in Scripture. But it does mean that that time then belongs to God. It is about Him. He says, I want you to take a day and I want you to make that time about me. Give it to me. Make it holy, consecrated as the word, set apart so it's my day, not your day, not everyone else's day. 
This was hard because rest usually means more quietness. It means sometimes even being more alone. And it's when we're alone, it's when the things of life and the craziness start to fall away and die down that we get confronted with the things that we really are, the things that we really care about, where our life is really at. One pastor said this about being alone. And I want you to listen to these words and see if you can relate to this. Being alone. He's talking about himself, what he experiences when he's alone. And he says, I know I can tell you this. My thoughts do not go to God. They don't go to the one who gave me my life, sustains my life every day, and who has endowed me with every mercy and pleasure I've ever enjoyed, to whom I owe everything, and at least my highest love and allegiance. My mind does not go there at all. Absolutely not. It goes to my real rests, my real trusts. It goes to my real religion which is either my career, my aches and my pains, or my comforts, or what I hope to do with my vacation, or the people who like me, and what they said to me recently. You see, these are my real rests. The simple question of what do you think about when you're alone, what do you think about when there isn't something else more pressing to think about, is when we realize what it looks like for us to really rest and the things that we really spend our time on and care about. The life of a Christian is the life of looking to God and also being willing to look inward. We get confused by this. We often think God is up here, right? He's like above, okay? We think God's above. He's maybe in heaven, and and, and so he's up there, and I'm down here, which means everywhere I am, everywhere I go, anything I do, he's up there. He can see it. He gets a bird's eye view, right? So even if I'm blowing it or I'm messing up, like God can see, that kind of scares me sometimes. If I'm doing a really good thing, I'm sure God can see, you know, if not, I'll put it on Facebook. He's on Facebook and he'll see it then. So God can see, nobody else, right? Uh, But he's always there. He's always around. God knows everything. God is everywhere. And so God is present at all times. And yet when the Bible describes us and our orientation in God, it doesn't say float up and be with God, transcend and be with God. It says to fix our eyes upon him. It says to look towards him. It says to aim ourselves in his direction. It's very interesting that it says that. It's like you're in a boat in water and you see a fixed point on land and you say, if I keep my eye on that point, I'll reach that point. If I take my eye off that point, I'll go somewhere else. I need to fix my gaze on something. It's why the idea is that we actually have to choose to face God, to focus on God, to turn to God, to look to God. Even the language of repentance is less literally translated about not sinning and more about just turning back to God. The idea is that when you sin and you blow it, you're simply choosing to take your focus off God. And so the way you get better is not to just feel bad and be guilty and repent of everything or, or say that you're sorry, but it is actually repentance is literally to turn back to God. So our goal is to be facing him, aiming towards him, looking at him, fixed on him. And that is what rest does for us. That is why he says, I want you to take a day and I want that day to be for me because I want you to focus on me. Real rest is something that can exist regardless of how your life is going. Real rest is rest during pain as well as joy kind of rest that we read about in the Bible is rest that exists just as much when we're depleted and empty as when we're full and life is going well. Rest exists when we've lost versus, and just as much as when we've gained. Rest isn't just about taking time out. It's about turning to God. 
One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, my favorite, maybe my favorite passage in all of Scripture is John 15, where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And if you abide in me, if you're connected to me, you will bear much fruit. And if you aren't, you'll wither away, you'll be cast into the fire. Now, the first time I spoke on that was at a youth group, and I went out to a grapevine vineyard field near our church, and I cut down a grapevine branch, and I picked one up off the ground that was dead and shriveled and dying, and I, and I, and I brought them, and I was like, it's going to be so great, I'm going to blow their minds, I'm going to show them what the Bible says. You know, it wasn't the most creative thing, but I just was, I was so impressed with myself, and I got it, and I put it backstage, whatever, and then we like played a game for like 30 minutes, and then it was time for the sermon, and so, you know, it was me, so hour and a half into the youth group sermon, I get these things out, and I'm like, okay, guys, uh, this is the vine and branches, and I pull out the dirty, the dirty, dry one, the one that's all dead, and I'm like, look at this, you guys want to be this, nobody wants to be this, uh. and then I pull out the life, the life-filled one, and it's just like, like that, right, it's like, and I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know how plants work, you know, I didn't know they, they would die that fast. And so then, because I'm, I'm a genius, I like immediately changed it into this thing that I knew all along and I was planning along. I was like, guys, you see how fast we wither when we're not connected to the, to the vine, right? Look at this. This is terrible, right? Like, oh gosh. But that has stuck with me. You know, the, the things that stick with me are the things I say. That stuck with me uh, for, for years and years and years because the truth of John 15 that is so hard for us is that there is not a third option there, Right? That you're either growing, all the time, you're either growing or you are withering away. And how many of us would love it if there was a third option where you're like, okay, so I became a Christian and I learned a bunch of stuff and I grew and it was great. And then I reached this point and I was like, if we could just keep it right here, that would be great. God, I don't really need to grow much more. I'm totally good where I am. I certainly don't want to go downhill, but I don't need to go uphill right now. I get it. It's fine. Maybe I'm not going to be bearing fruit. Maybe there won't be big grapes and everything, but at least I know that I'll be okay. And then maybe at some point if things get really hard in my life or I start to struggle, then I'll be like, yes, let's get serious and let's grow a lot more. Let's grow a lot faster. Once I have more time or once my life settles down, we would love to think that there's this middle of the road branch that can just kind of stay exactly where it's at. Not be dying, but eh, not be growing. But the truth of what Jesus tells us in John 15 and the reason why the things Jesus says are so profound and true is because the way that spiritual life works is you are always either growing or you are wasting away when you're disconnected from him. And so the importance of Sabbath is the importance of saying on a regular basis, I need to fix my eyes and my focus on him. If I don't, I will waste away and I will wither. My faith will become hollow and shallow and empty. My faith will not be real. I might say all the same things. I might try to act the same way. I might try to follow all the same rules, but the inside will begin to kind of hollow out because I'm not fixing my eyes on God. So we take time out and we turn to God. We focus on God. And there's two things that we read about um, in the Old Testament again where they give us some direction. They give us a sense of what it looks like to focus on God. And they come in the way that the command is given. In Exodus 20... We're going to go even further backwards. We're just going to keep going backwards in Exodus. We're going to Exodus 20. We read where this command is given. 
It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So the way that the command is given is it's given with a reminder of God the creator. God the one who made us and who sustains us. Why? Because when you take Sabbath, when you rest and you then begin to fix your eyes upon God in that time, focus on the fact that he is the God who has created you. He is the one who makes life happen. He is the one who brings about the things that we experience. He is the one. He is the authority of our life. He's the one that knows us, who names us, who calls us, who gives us our very identity. He is the one who does that. God, the creator. And when we see that, when we see that God says, basically, imitate me, I took a Sabbath rest, or I took a Sabbath, I took a day after creation to simply enjoy all that was done. I want you to do that. I want you to take time to just stop and say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to appreciate what happened. I'm going to appreciate the work that was done. I'm going to focus on the God who is the true creator and author of all good things. But as you imitate me, Remind yourself, be reminded, you will be reminded, you should be reminded that you're not me, okay? So as we stop and we imitate God, we are also reminded we're not God. I'm not the one who does all this. I'm not the one that has to be in charge of everything. The burden and the weight of all of it is not on my shoulders. And like I said before, the reason many of us can't even rest is because we don't believe that for a second. We believe that we are God. We believe that we are the reason things are happening. We believe that it's all on us. And so when we stop and we rest, we believe this in our families. We believe this in our relationships. We believe this in our jobs. We believe this in our community. In fact, in anything that we really care about and want to invest our time and ourselves in, that we toil in, we're going to struggle to believe that we're God, that we're the one that makes that thing happen. And so when we rest and we focus on God, we focus first and foremost on the fact that he is our creator, he's the one, and we can trust him. We can imitate God so that we stop trying to be God. But the second thing that we focus on in Sabbath is we read about it in Deuteronomy, where this command is repeated, but it's repeated differently. Deuteronomy 5, it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, when it's first given in Exodus, it's given from the Creator. When it's given in Deuteronomy, it's given from the Savior, the Redeemer, the Rescuer. 
who we talked about a lot throughout Exodus. There's a lot of emphasis here in Deuteronomy on animals and, and people that are slaves and not working them too hard, giving them rest, saying rest applies to everybody. Because it, with God's people in his nation, no one is going to be exploited and treated like their God. Like if this ox doesn't take a break, everything's going to fall apart. If this slave doesn't get their time, then everything's going to fall apart. Just like if I don't get my time, everything's going to fall apart. He says, there will be no real slaves and no one or no animal will be treated like a slave in, with my people in my nation because I ended that. I rescued you from your taskmasters, taskmasters and your slave drivers. That if we're going to focus on God who created us, we also have to focus on the God who has saved us. And we have to say, God's the one that saved me. God's the one who continues to save me. God is the one who rescues us. God is the one that I can put my confidence and my hope in. And for a lot of us, we stop once a week at least. And if we just go, after the week I had, I need to know that God is the one. God is the one who rescues and redeems and saves. After the tendencies that I've had, whether it's a bad week and you need to be reminded that God has got you covered, whether it is a good week and your tendency is to then be like, I'm awesome. I'm the reason all this is going great. No, you're not. You had to be rescued. You had to be saved, just like God's people did. The other thing is that we have to be reminded that we aren't actually slaves anymore that we don't have to live like slaves. And we again and again and again go back to slavery. We go back to being slaves to things, being slaves to the very desires that we have, being slaves to the things that people say, this is what your identity is rooted in and not God. So much so that when we have rest and we stop and we focus on who God is, we have to be reminded of the fact that we are prone, just like his people, to want to head back into slavery to want to head back to where the taskmasters were, to say, it's better that way. And he says, no, it's not. I saved you from that, so focus on that thing. The other thing that Sabbath does is that it prepares us for the storms that come. You see, much of the time, we just don't want to think about life getting hard. We don't want to think about life getting difficult. We don't want to think about life falling apart. And a lot of times, it's in the busyness, maybe of a successful life, that we don't want to think about those things. But then we find that trial comes and suffering comes and pain comes and we realize we aren't prepared for those things because we never actually stopped and just were with God. We never actually had our focus maybe. Our, maybe our, in all the success and the busyness and craziness of life, we allowed our gaze and our fix to come, our eyes to be fixed, not on God, but on other things. And then when stuff started to get difficult, we're like, what am I building this on? What am I focused on? One of the things that we see throughout the Jewish people, throughout the Jewish culture, after God gives them Sabbath, all the way up until present day, is that some of the times when they celebrated Sabbath the most religiously were when they were suffering the most, and they were enduring the most persecution, and they were even in captivity, and they were even scattered. Those are the times that we see them even still having Sabbath. Why? Because we know when things are hard that we need to lead on God. But what about when things aren't hard? What about when things are easy? What about when life is going well? How much time will we stop and give to what's really happening inside of our hearts? Ultimately, Sabbath is this rest, is this great thing. Like we, we can sort of rejoice in the fact that we can have real rest because God has given us this as a gift. He has said, I, I am gifting rest to you. You didn't earn it. 
It's not a transaction. I'm gifting it to you because he's a good God and a gracious God and because he wants his people to be people who don't just toil all the time in this life that we have, but that we actually enjoy our God and that we actually spend time with him and resting. For many of us, rest is really hard to hear about. It's really frustrating. We feel like it may be possible for you, but it's not possible for me, to which I would say rest is a matter of life and death. If we don't take it, if we don't find a way to make it happen, if we don't stop and recognize that we need to be connected to the vine, if we don't stop and look at the week that we've just had and say, like, and say, God is good, God is the one who is the author of things, God is the one that is taking care, God is the one who saves, no matter how bad it might seem or crazy it might seem, and I don't have to be a slave anymore, then we will suffer and we will begin to experience death. One of the things that we have uh, been talking about, even just pastors in the church here, as we've been talking about this series on rest for the last several months, is this feeling we've had that we as a church need rest. Saying, the reason that we wanted to do this series is because we feel like you have to stop at times in your life and everywhere, and you have to say, what does it look like for us to take rest? One of the things that you read about in the Old Testament is the idea of a Sabbath year, not just a day, but a year. Every seven years, they took a Sabbath year. And every seven Sabbath times, which is for every 49 years, they took a year of Jubilee. And in the Sabbath year, in the year of Jubilee, they would do different things. But for the most part, you would let all your fields just grow wild for a year. You wouldn't tend to your fields. You wouldn't plant. You wouldn't reap the harvest. So if you owned a bunch of fields, because these were farmers, you just, you just had to save up stuff for a year, or for that year. You had to save up everything and know that when that year comes, I'm not farming that year. I'm just going to let it all grow wild. I'm going to let it all do what it does. And anybody that was in need, anyone that needed food, anyone that was going hungry knew in that year that they would go find food in the fields. And you knew that you could go find food in the fields, but that you weren't going to be able to count on it like you could before. We know what that's like because we rotate fields with crops. You know, we, we, we give, a, we give a, a field a break. We let it go fallow for a year so that it can store nutrients and rotate, things like that. But they did it all at once which is not a good thing to do if you're trying to build like a, like a solid, consistent, predictable food system. They forgave debt. During the Sabbath year, they, uh, they ignored debt for a year. They just were like, you don't have to pay back your debts for this year, and then it'll start up again. And during the year of Jubilee, they got rid of all debt permanently. Any debt amongst the people of God was completely wiped out. Slaves were released and set free. If you were a slave, you could be set free after seven years of slavery. And in the 49th year, uh, that also applied. And if you wanted to, you could go back. So they'd be like, hey, you're free. Do you want to still live here and do this and work here? And if you were a good slave master, then they probably said yes. And if you weren't, then they were like, ha, joke's on you. I'm going to go find somebody else who's a lot nicer than me and doesn't treat me like you have been for the last seven years. Well, you know, six years. I know you got nice in that last year, but we all knew what you were doing, and it didn't work, right? They, they allowed their slaves to be free. They, they got rid of debt. They uh, let the land grow fallow. They gave, they gave property back. Like all the property that had been transacted in the 49-year in the period, they permanently gave it back to the people that owned it before that time. Now, the reason they did these things was important. It was not because it was better for the society. 
It was actually not better for the society. Societies build on these things. Societies grow and get bigger and economies grow because of things like slavery, because of things like accrued debt, because of rotating systems of crop growth rather than just taking a break for the whole year, because more people get land and it goes up in price and they sell it to other people. That actually makes a nation look better in the bigger picture. You use those things to build, right? That's civilization, that's society, that's industry. And if your hope is in those things, then you need those things to stay the way they are. But if your hope is in God, then every seven years, he's going to turn everything upside down just to make you crazy. And he's going to go, you don't really need those things. You don't need the slaves. Besides, I love the slaves and I don't want them to be exploited by you. And you don't need that land to be your land with your name on it. And you don't need those crop fields to always produce as reliably as they have been. And you don't need the debt that you've racked up or that you owe that someone else owes you. You don't need those things. Your hope isn't in those things. Your hope is in God. Your hope is in me. And so you're going to have to let them go to be reminded that your hope is in me. I say this because I was telling you that as pastors, we've been talking about this idea of rest for the last several months. This feeling that for, that for even years, even, even in the time before that I came to this church, feeling like there was this sense that there were things that we needed to take a break from, programs and events and things that we do, things that are great, things that are wonderful, things that we have enjoyed that people have said, OCEC is great, but they take a lot of time and of money and of resources and of effort from us. And because of those things, and because there's so many of those things, and because we've even in a way become sort of at times about those things more than about something else, that we spend a lot of our time working sort of shoulder to shoulder alongside one another, and we spend less time working face to face with one another. And so what would it look like for us to take a rest for a year? Say, we're going to take a break from a lot of the programs that we do, a lot of the events and the, even maybe a lot of the fun things that we do because of the work that it takes to do those things and because we feel like God's calling us to take a year of rest and to say instead we're going to focus on each other directly face to face and we're going to be reminded that our hope is in God. Our hope isn't in these things. That's a hard thing for us to do uh, and we're going to talk about it for the next couple weeks. We're going to talk more and more about, you know, what we're doing and what we're not doing. And I guarantee everybody's going to be disappointed in some way. And I guarantee everybody's going to be happy in some way. But ultimately, the pastors realized this is a hard thing for us to do. And like we can stand here and we can talk about Sabbath and rest and taking a break from your busy lives and making room for God. But what we realized was we needed to do it. We said, we have to kind of put our money where our mouth is. And we have to say, even though these are the very things that we have loved to do, what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a church, what it means to do ministry, what it means to reach the lost, what it means to reach each other, what it means to have community and to build and do all those things. Even though that's true, we must be able to let go of things and to know that God, that our hope isn't in those things, right? Our hope is in the God who was existing before those things and will continue to exist after them. Now, I just did a bunch of announcements, so I guess you know the things that we're not getting rid of or canceling. You're like, wait, are you just, was that like a joke? Were you like, that was not a joke, right? We are, we are doing those things because there's a lot of things that we do that are important for the building of community at the church, and the Bible says to not give up meeting together. And so we're not going to give up meeting together. And meeting together needs to be smaller than just this. We need small groups. We need some studies that we do together. But there's also a lot of things that we do that we recognize we want to take a break from. So as we do that and as we talk more about that, know that this is our effort and our desire as a church to say, we want to enter into a season of rest 
A season when we can focus even more on who God is and even more on relationships with each other. I said before that rest is about hope, that it's about a gift that God gives us. We're going to spend some time in worship and we're going to take communion. And as we do that, I love every single month that we take communion. It feels like, it feels like this is exactly where even the message has been going. Because it is so often, right, that we get caught up in all of the stuff that we do and all of the things that we achieve and all the things that we're investing in in our lives, that our work and our toil go towards, and we forget that the one who ultimately accomplished everything that matters for us is Jesus. And Jesus knew that we would forget that. He knew that we wouldn't do that. And so he said to his disciples when he was with them on this last night together with them, he said, we're, I want you to take communion, and I want you to do it as a way of remembering what I've done. Remembering that it's not because of you and it's not because of what you've done or anything else. I want you to remember the sacrifice that was made for you. He knew then what we know is true now, which is we will forget again and again and again. And so we're going to spend some time in worship. I think our ushers are going to, this time, they're, going to, they're just going to be up at the front. They're going to have the communion. And as you feel led over the next few songs, you can come up and you can take the communion elements. You can take them back to your seat and you can take communion there. You can take them up here with the ushers. But we're just going to continue to sing through some songs and we're going to take it sort of individually this week. And as you do this, I do want you to reflect on these things we talked about, on God the creator, on God the redeemer, on what we know is true of those things and what Jesus has done. So let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You have given us a gift of rest, but for many of us, that actually bothers us. It frustrates us. It frustrates us that you would say that we should live a certain way, that we can follow all the rules that you give us until you tell us to stop working so hard, and then we don't know what to do. And God, the truth is that's because for many of us, our significance and our value is actually tied up in the achievements of our lives, the relationships we have with people, the things that we are desperate to keep going and to balance out. We're afraid of all those plates that we're spinning starting to fall and to break. And so we pray that you would give us the ability to trust you enough to just rest. And for those of us who have the time to rest and can rest, Lord, our prayer is simply that you would be our focus in that time. That it wouldn't be about having fun and it wouldn't be about just doing things that are our hobbies, Lord, although that could be part of it but that it would ultimately be about refocusing ourselves in the direction of you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen. Father, we know that, we know that there is no rest like the rest that can be found in you alone. God, we can take all the days off we want, we can take all the vacations we want, but without you, we cannot truly rest, Father that without you, we cannot experience true joy because in you is life and is joy, Lord, and is true and real rest. God, you tell us so much in your word of what we can hope for and hope in and hope towards, and yet we forget those things and we begin to put our hope in other things. So our prayer to you is that, is that we would be drawn to you in a desire to find rest, God, that we would see the beauty of your face, the joy that is in you, and they would be beautiful and attractive things to us, and they would draw us, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll